Blog Talk Radio. Well, that's very familiar music. What that tells me is that we're back. Parenting Your Challenging Child is back on the air. And uh, this is Dr. Ross Green. Very good to be back with you again after having taken June, July, and August off from the program. Um, And very glad to have uh, the program beginning this year with our parents panel members, Kathy and Susie. I'll bring them on the air in just a minute. How was your summer um, with your behaviorally challenging child? Um, phones are going to be open today, even though it's a parents panel. We'll be hearing from Susie and Kathy about how their summers went and find out what they want to be covering on today's program. But um, Well, I hope you've had a good summer, and it's good to be back with you again. Uh, We do this, as you may know, every Monday, September through May, at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And if you want to call in and comment or ask a question, that number is 347-994-2981. Now let me bring on Susie and Kathy. How are you both doing? Uh, but don't, don't answer at once. Susie, how are you? I'm good, Dr. Green. Thanks. How are you? And hi, Kathy. Hi, Susie. Kathy, how are you doing? Doing very well. It feels like fall has come. Um, just in time for the panel, I guess. <laughs> just in time. It is crisp here in Maine. And um, let's see, it was in the 50s this morning. So, yes, fall has come. I've seen a few changing leaves already. Um, I'm kind of excited for fall. Um, This is a sort of a crisp, refreshing time of year. Um, We'll be crisp and refreshing on this program as well. uh, Either of you want to tell us about anything related to your behaviorally challenging children this summer or um, anything you want to start this year off with in terms of topic? Kathy, do you want to go first? Okay, thank you, Susie. Well, I... I, you know, past couple of days I've been thinking about what would be a good topic and I went through a few and rejected them thinking they weren't broad enough. And um, I think I was blessed this morning with the honeymoon period being over <laughs> and I almost said to my son, thank you for the topic. Um, of course, he wouldn't have understood what I meant, but it was, it was helpful um, and I'll just back up a second and and just say that we did have a good summer. It was a good blend of activities, quiet time. Um, We came up with a wonderful plan for the use of electronics so that they wouldn't dominate our household. Um, Having two teenage boys, um, you know, if you let them, they would be on the computers all day, and I, of course, want them to be outside or playing with friends or reading or whatever they get up to and and we came up with a solution of having electronics between five and eight and it worked all summer and that way I wasn't chasing it around saying are you on your iPod or FaceTiming with this person or that you know they were able to have a a balance of social in connections with friends 
but also doing other things. So, you know, things went pretty well, had a good balance. Um, school started well for both. And uh, my behaviorally challenging kid, what I realized what was going to be the, the issue this year is he's going into high school, um, same school where he's been, uh, but there will be some challenges around um, the expectations and things being new. For example, one thing that I didn't think was a big deal uh, was that we had to buy five different colored binders for each subject that he's studying, and then the binder stays at school within the classroom. And so that was a change, and he was grumbled about it, but packed them off himself. Um, I think there's going to be an expectation that some of the homework that's assigned is done at home. That's going to be huge. Um, there's going to be an expectation that we bring our own device, meaning computer, laptop, iPad, whatever, to school every day. And in the past, my son has relied on the school's computers. Um, there's going to be the requirement of using Google Apps versus using um Word. So as I look at all of these things, I'm grateful for the growth that we've had. I, I mean, I've gotten him to agree to wear sneakers for gym day. We we got some sort of structural issues ironed out with our school. But I'm also um, apprehensive of all of the demands that are coming and how are we going to meet them. And how do I approach that and be supportive of the school but also recognize the challenges that it's going to pose. And, and it, it's hard to, to know where to, to start when you feel like there are going to be that many new demands. And is it the sheer number of demands that is giving you trepidation, or are there things about those demands that you are thinking to yourself, this one could be trouble? Um, I think it's a combination of both. Um, I I don't disagree with having some some new demands in that he is going to high school. Um, that means you know four years from now, roughly, he'll be transitioning on to somewhere else. So I I think it's it's important to learn how to. Well, in the working world, for example, you're not going to agree with, with what your boss wants at times. Some things like arguing about what color notebook or how many notebooks we have to buy, is it worth um, getting upset over? I, I just said, well, here are the notebooks and you can bring them in. And I'm I'm sort of plan seeing it, meaning they'll figure out with him at school whether he's going to use them or not. But things like bring the computer every day or or the use of a new software package, those could be big. And I think it's fear of, of something new that's getting in his way, but I don't know. I haven't really solved it with them. But, but I know that they are – I can pr- reliably predict that they're going to be an, an issue. So how do I offer support to the school? How do I pick? Because – I want him to meet all the expectations, but to to expect all of them at once is not realistic. Susie, you want to weigh in? Um, sure. I 
think what you just explained to us, you uh, try to set up a meeting this next week with the um, guidance counselor, his teachers, and the school psychologist and just explain how you um how you just did to us um that you want him to um meet the demands but that we're going to have to prioritize because otherwise nothing's going to get done you can't you can't do them all at once and you know just to remember that chronological age doesn't always equal developmental age um and and you have to adjust accordingly i i was wondering um what it was about the notebooks that was bothering him i was wondering if you could um if if you know the answer to that and uh, if you could also clarify the fear of something new, Did, have you had a chance to drill down for more information about well, that? With the notebooks, um, <laughs> he's in a private school versus a public school, which his his brother is in, and he had pr- previously been part of the public school system that his brother is at. Mm-hmm. And I think he was making the comparison that why do we have to buy all of these notebooks? Why are schools, in his mind, these things should be supplied? He is very, um, he's very interested in justice and and having had a bad experience at school, mm-hmm. he th- he thinks that schools should supply notebooks. The same thing with supplying a laptop. And um, in, in Maine, they have a, a great program where students receive laptops for 7th and 8th grade and then it ends. And so once you're in high school, it tends to become a a Mm bring-your-own-device type of program. And it's no different at the public school. I I don't know specifically what they're requiring, but many schools in the area do require that. But he's sort of looking at it of, I was burned, so they should supply me with a computer and I pointed out that we already had one that he could bring to school and we weren't purchasing one separate especially for it that it could be used. And his comment was, I will not use it at school and then they'll see I don't I shouldn't have to bring it. And that one I just thought, well, I'm gonna let that alone and he has a a wise grandmotherly type teacher and um she may be able to talk him into it, into using it. What I can do is send it. Um, I don't want to pick all those battles at home and, and make it worse. He may rise to the occasion and surprise me. Mm-hmm. Um. But the fear of something new, um, if he if he has a program that's working, such as um, Word, which he's figured out, he doesn't want to learn Gmail, which is how the teachers plan to communicate with um, the students. He doesn't want to learn the apps, you know, the Google Apps program, and he has fears of if he had his work in the cloud that people would um, 
have access to it, and he's worried about security. I mean, I don't know that he's really thought that through because someone having access to his math problems is not really that exciting mm-hmm. a thing to hack into. But um, he 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 reacts very strongly to being told to use a certain program or this is the way we do things kind of language. So, um, but on the school's point of view, they don't want to have to negotiate everything with them or solve it with them either. So I sort of feel like I'm caught between a rock and a hard place sometimes when I want to support both of them. Absolutely. Um, I'm sorry, Dr. Green, were you going to say something? I was, but I'd prefer to defer to you. (laughs) Um, I I also wonder, um, Kathy, you had mentioned in previous programs that you were working with an outside counselor, I believe. Yes. um, That was a neutral third party who... um, helps you on some of these school-related issues. Um, Is that, um, are some of these problems about the notebook or using Gmail and um, his worry about security, is that something that she can help with and talk to him about and work out? something with him? It is. Um, it gets expensive. <laughs> um, Kathy, I know. I I totally <laughs> understand. And I, I'm, I, I'm trying to get it so that um, it flows more naturally at school to understand that there are underlying issues why he can't immediately just comply like some of the other students, that it's not just a willful, I don't want to use it, but that there's something beneath that. And my, right, my he has legitimate is, concerns, yeah. Yeah, that there there's some skills deficits there that are in his way that are causing him to kind of want to just put up a roadblock anytime something new is introduced. Mm-hmm. That, you know, it... it because he he doesn't want to do it differently. It's frightening to him. Uh, when Except I said the change, when I suggested to um, you know make a meeting with the school with you and the teachers and the counselor, um, would it maybe also help after that meeting to have a second meeting with him present with his teachers and the guidance counselor, and they can try to help explain uh, some the of their... Mm-hmm. And then he's not I in trouble. So. They're just trying to help him understand um, some of these things are just the way the school works, which I know is very difficult for a challenging black and white thinker to but, comprehend. You know, it's interesting. I think that's great, Susie. That's really helpful. Um, we are having 
a meeting with the school with a school psychologist or consulting one um, coming up on Thursday just to kind of anticipate what will happen. <laughs> and I think prioritizing makes a whole lot of sense. Um, it, it, it's interesting because I've observed him when he is over at a friend's house. He is unfailingly polite to the parents. He uses Mr. and Mrs., he says thank you. He asks. He's very appropriate. Mm-hmm. And when I've asked him about that in the past, he says, "Well, I want them to invite me back." So when he he does that, I think in there there's the kernel of understanding. At least in that type of situation, if I behave appropriately, the parents will like me and I'll be invited. And I keep thinking, okay, he's got it in there to understand that at work. You know, if I advocate appropriately and behave appropriately, they'll want to hire me. I, I, yeah, I think I, that's sorry, a much huge, bigger problem, but for him to solve. But I, I think okay, it's in there. It's just it's not developed yet. Right, I hope. Right, it's it's an ongoing teaching conversation. But I I would expect since it is a private school that you would have a bit more flexibility. I mean, if the five binders are really bothering him, is that so terribly important? You know what I'm saying? I felt like it was a battle. I didn't want to fight about the binders. I just thought, well, just get the binders, supply them. Um, I can't... I can't make him use them, and he probably won't argue with that so much as as what software are we using, or I have to use my own laptop. I don't want to do that. Another huge one is the homework. Um, I'm th- that one is going to be tough because he's been maintaining for at least two years that he didn't want to have homework at home and he needs a study hall, mm-hmm. and. We got a schedule, and it has an independent study during the time I thought was going to be a study hall. And it's a high-interest subject, but my concern is that I will get home, you know, a meltdown kid every afternoon because there's homework that has to be done at home. So that would be one that I would feel would be more worth, let's figure this out kind of thing then um it, you know and they're trying to meet his needs for the high interest subject but once you get to high school there are certain requirements that you need to graduate in terms of credit hours for classes um and he has special things like OT and occupational therapy and uh, meeting with a social worker and some some social thinking work all of which he needs. So there isn't a whole lot of time left in a day, but um, it's a it's a balancing act. I don't want to tell the school what to do, but as a parent, I can see what the effect is going to be. Right, but you have to be your kid's advocate too. And, right. I mean, one thing that was helpful with our challenging daughter was to have a reduced schedule in high school. It it meant that, you know, she had to take some classes over the summer, 
but it certainly made the school year more manageable. Um, she had different difficulties, but um, that's one idea to explore. It is. It is, or even longer to graduate. Absolutely. There, There's uh, no shame in taking a little bit longer to get the job done. Nobody's going to care. I was curious, Kathy, about your comment that the school... I don't remember your exact words, but the school doesn't want to have to, and this is not your exact words, I don't remember how you put it, but the school doesn't want to have to solve all these problems. But, <laughs> um, Yeah? I'm not exactly sure how they would deal with them if they aren't, solving them. I mean, what I'm hearing you say is there's a bunch of things that you anticipate could get in your son's way. Unsolved problems. You know, it's always an interesting balance between what we're demanding and what we're solving. Fine to place an expectation on your son. He may surprise us and actually need it find that you're anticipating what those problems might be. He may surprise you, and those problems might actually not occur as you anticipate that they will. So there's a difference between having an expectation, and you delineated many of the expectations that are either new this year or that you're at the very least anticipating that your son's going to have difficulty meeting. He may not have difficulty meeting them, talk a little bit about the things he thinks about why he shouldn't do some of those things or why they should do things that they're not doing. Um, That's interesting information. But I guess my question is, how is the school's approach to dealing with your son when he's having difficulty meeting an expectation to simply insist that he meet it? Sometimes it is, yes. Um, I, I think because we have had to um, advocate for him in in getting him where he is in terms of his placement and, and certain things that were not going well, including transportation to school, he um, has almost taken this to the next level and um, would like to you know, say about many of the expectations that he doesn't like or that are new, well, let's just tell them I don't have to do that and the other students can. So and the way that he phrases it sets people off at school. You know, he he will just say, well, I don't have to do homework at home or I don't have to participate in this um they had a thing last year where everyone spent 15 minutes of a coaching period, you know, cleaning up the school, cleaning the tables where they eat lunch and washing whatever leftover dishes there were. He didn't like that. Um, he didn't want to work on what's a, called a portfolio. 
which is a, a, a student-based PowerPoint mm-hmm. presentation. So he didn't want to do that. So there, he he sort of, his language is, I don't want to do that expectation. You know, let's just tell them I'm not going to. So he has um, kind of taken what we've taught him about advocating us to a, you know, an extreme or or a way that's off-putting to people. Well, that would be an unsolved problem all by itself. But it does sound like he is defaulting into a, a solution. I doubt that you've been solving every problem with him by deciding that he doesn't have to do it. That seems to be his, or you would not have made progress with him. That seems to be his either unique interpretation or what he's defaulting into, as a lot of behaviorally challenging kids do. It's not tragic that he has a solution in his repertoire, not ideal that his apparently default solution is, um, let's just drop it. Um, so um, that's an unsolved problem. That And, and the fact that it's off-putting, he, he's, I don't know if, he knows that, and hopefully adults who are working with him are enlightened enough or can be enlightened to recognize that while that may be his default solution and the first one that comes out of his mouth, he is open to discussion about other potential solutions. Um, certainly we're not going to make much progress with him if the only solution we ever apply is he just doesn't have to do something if it's hard for him. That said, simply insisting that he do something that's hard for him probably is making a similar mistake but in the opposite direction. Instead of uh, dropping everything, we are insisting without ever finding out what's hard about it for him. Of course, that's the dilemma I had a long time ago when I was um, trying to help people in a certain way, namely by helping them insist better and by applying adult-imposed consequence to help them in that endeavor, to help them become world-class insisters. Um, but, of course, if you're not a world-class insister and you think you only have two options, then the only other option is to drop everything. Um, but what I'm hearing about is that there's a whole bunch of unsolved problems that could be handled with Plan B. The part that just intrigued me the most, because I, I want to make sure that we get to the things Susie wanted to talk about today, too, but... The thing that intrigued me the most is um, if the school is disinclined to solve problems with him, um, and it sounds like they are okay solving problems with him on some things, but insist on others. I'm kind of curious about the algorithm for which ones they're insisting on and which ones they are problem-solving on, because that's a that's, that's, that's one I would have a very hard time um, making a decision about. But... Um, I think it's great that you're anticipating the things that could get in the way. I think the whole thing starts to feel very overwhelming if we don't um, systematically turn those into specific unsolved problems. And it definitely starts to feel very overwhelming if you're feeling like you don't have people at school who are partnering with you and your son to try to solve them. Um, Certainly one unsolved problem, I don't know if this would make your priority list or not, is helping your son... um, recognize that him saying that everything should be dropped uh, is 
not the ideal way to approach unsolved problems. I don't know if that would make your priority list or not. You'd have to decide with the folks at school. Susie, anything you wanted to? You bet. Anything you wanted to kick off the year with? Well, I would love to mention that the third annual International Summit on Non-Adversarial, Non-Punitive Intervention for At-Risk Kids is being held on November 8th, and that's very exciting. Um, That's a mouthful, uh, Mrs. Porton. (laughs) I've been practicing all summer. It's it's a mouthful. And that's in Portland, Maine on November 8th. It's sponsored co-sponsored by Lives in the Balance and the Maine Juvenile Justice Advisory Group. Sorry, just thought I'd throw in some details there. Absolutely. Um, Over the summer, I ran into a neighbor who, together with her husband, have a 16-year-old challenging daughter. And the mom asked for help with the following family problem. When the daughter goes to the mall with a friend, The mother gives her a certain amount of cash, plus the daughter has a credit card for only emergencies. Almost without exception, the daughter spends way over the limit every time. They've had some proactive Plan B type discussions. The daughter says okay, she understands, but the daughter continues to purchase stuff either giving into peer pressure or sometimes she just wants something, and the problem persists. The husband's furious with the situation and wants to stop giving the daughter any money to go to the mall. The mom is reluctant to punish or consequence the daughter. The mother knows that's not solving problems collaboratively. So we're wondering, what do you think, Dr. Green? What's the uh, what's the solu- what's the solution that they have in place? I'm hearing that they've done proactive Plan B on this problem, but mm-hmm. I'm not complete. And I'm hearing that the what I'm mostly hearing. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't jump to adult-imposed consequences just because a an original solution isn't working. In fact, I don't jump to adult-imposed consequences on almost anything, but certainly not just because a solution isn't working yet, but I'm not completely clear on what the solution is in the first place. How, 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 what do they think is the solution that is solving this problem? I hear that they're giving them mon- her money. I don't understand how she continues to overspend. What's the solution? Well, the daughter ends up using her credit card that was supposed to be for emergencies, and she I see. pays... Um, extra with the credit card. Got it. So she's got a credit card for emergencies. Mm-hmm. She's using it to overspend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had missed that part. What's what's well, their solution to her overspending? And say what? What is the solution to her overspending? What do I think? No, I'm wondering what... Or have they what, come up with one? Have they come up with one? Uh, No. They just have these conversations. The daughter agrees. She says that she understands, but 
continues to spend away. Oh, so I hate to say it, but it sounds like the I'll try harder solution. Right, yes. I'll try harder never works. Yep. I'll try harder not to overspend is the solution that they're running with, but there is really no, nothing has changed in terms of how anybody's operating just because she now understands. Yeah. Um, Well, and having her understand that she's overspending, we wouldn't call that a solution anyways. I would just say that that's her understanding her parents' concerns, but I'm not actually hearing that there's any solution. I'm not hearing that there's any solution in place besides Mm -hmm. her trying harder now that she understands. Right. It it feels almost like they did the first two steps of Plan B, but they never moved on to a solution that would address those concerns besides she'll try harder not to overspend. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Are you... Um, and so the parents' concerns seem clear. They don't want her overspending. Do you have any uh, sense of what her the girl's concerns are? Well, in thinking about the problem, you know, uh, I would suggest for the parents to drill down further to clarify the daughter's concerns and figure out with the daughter and try to understand her needs and what she thinks she needs. And then this kind of a proactive plan B discussion can lead to a collaborative solution that addresses both parties' concerns. Yes, I guess the part that threw me was that you had said that they had done proactive plan B on it several times already. Mm-hmm. The solution they seem they seem to be running with is the I'll try harder solution, which we've already said doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Do, do we know? Do we know if they were able? I mean, this can get interesting because them saying they've done proactive Plan B several times mm-hmm. doesn't mean they've actually really come to an understanding of what is making it difficult for her. You said something about peer pressure. Um, that would be good to know more about, but you're right. To really work toward a solution, we'd need to know what is making it, what's setting the stage for the girl to overspend, and I'm not sure we know that. Mm-hmm. In which case, I certainly wouldn't jump to adult-imposed consequences to fix it. I would do what you said. I'd drill further to make sure that we understand what's causing her to overspend. Right. Sounds like we're not even ready for a solution yet. Sounds like we're not even ready for a solution yet. Trying harder is often a solution people come to, adults in particular, sometimes kids too, when we aren't really clear about what a kid's concerns are or what the concerns of both parties are. It's sort of a, this often I'll, you need to try harder is reflective of the fact that we don't know enough about the concerns of both parties to come up with anything except trying harder. I find that adult-imposed consequences are frequently applied under the exact same conditions. We don't know enough about what's getting in the kid's way 
to actually come up with a solution to address what's getting in the kid's way. And so we end up consequencing instead or running with something like try harder. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much. Pleasure. Kathy, you want to weigh in on that at all? I I don't think so. I, it doesn't have a, uh, any investment. Kathy, we actually seem to be losing you. Have you moved to a different location? Is it is it? No, it's still staticky. Hmm. Well, unfortunately, I'm late. Um, we seem to have you back now. I think what I'm going to okay. do is um, let me let me uh, throw. We've got some a bunch of um, emails that have um, piled up over the summer. Let me read one here and mm-hmm. let you all weigh in on this one as well. Ready? Sure. Doctor Green, I just finished reading the Explosive Child and have tried several times to use Plan B with our four-year-old son who has been exploding his whole life and has been treated pretty consistently with Plan A prior to now. But every time I've tried Plan B, he gets very frustrated and explodes again when I try to figure out why he hit, or whatever he did, to try to empathize. I'm hoping each time that I can hear that his brother was being selfish or some other actual reason that he hit, And then at least I can empathize with that before going into why we aren't going to allow hitting and figuring out what we can do to work out sharing the rest of Plan B. But we can't get to that point before he starts to get worked up again, saying, I don't know. And many times he simply hits because he wants to hit, no reason whatsoever. I begin to prompt with questions, and it really frustrates him. I can't get any further. Is this because of his age? Am I doing something wrong? Please help. Susie, want to weigh in for this mom? And, of course, um, all of the questions we answer on this program are with the uh, explicit understanding that we are only trying to help people do this model, this program, and the answers that we provide are um, Don't substitute even in the remotest for a comprehensive evaluation or for for understanding a particular child and what's specifically getting in his way. But let's give this one a crack. Susie, what do you think? Well, from experience, we um, had a similar child. And one thing that helped because he was delayed in his vocabulary were pictures to help him express what he was thinking. Um, I also wanted to say that, you know, it it takes time to uh, get good at the Plan B process, and it takes time for the child to um, engage in the process as well. Um, Don't give up hope. You want to be having these conversations proactively and um, just 
try to remember if similar to a reading or a math problem, it's just manifesting itself differently. So one thing that could be going on here is mm-hmm. that we have a child who is um, having difficulty expressing himself in language and that merely attempting to do plan B in a way that requires language is frustrating him further. Kathy, any thoughts on this one? I think we've lost Kathy. No, maybe not. Hello? Can you hear me now? Yeah. I think we're okay. What wasn't clear to me was uh, the timing of the conversation. Was she trying to have these with her uh, son right after the incident or at a calm time when it's a good time to have a conversation? Because that can greatly affect how those things go, meaning let's not do it right after he's hit a sibling in the heat so of the another, moment. When he, yeah, so another crucial In the heat of the moment here, Go ahead. Well, just in the heat of the moment, it's not a good time. So another big issue could be, is this being is Plan B being done proactively? Heat of the mm-hmm. moment, immediately thereafter, not ideal. And you're right, uh, the emailer wasn't clear about timing. So there's two things that could be getting in the way. I have a third to throw into the hopper. <laughs> Sounds to me like... Uh, she is talking with him about hitting, which is a behavior. Even if we're doing yeah. Plan B proactively, and once again, it's not clear that the emailer is, but even if we're doing Plan B proactively, if we ask the child what's going on with a particular behavior, then what we're really doing is asking the child about that, about every single unsolved problem that could be setting in motion that behavior which means we could be asking the child about 27 completely different unsolved problems when we say, I've noticed that you're hitting, what's up? So the goal is to actually not to ask the child about behavior, but about these specific conditions called unsolved problems in which those behaviors are occurring. I've noticed that you're having difficulty sharing with your brother when you all are playing with Legos um, after dinner. What's up? Now, that's a very specific unsolved problem, and it refers to a specific condition in which the child might be hitting or doing whatever else. And now you have a much better chance, assuming that the other two things aren't getting in the way. Timing can be huge. Uh, You want to be doing Plan B proactively 99.9% of the time. Language can be huge. I would go after timing first and then see if it's the heat of the moment that's getting in the way or if it's that even under uh, proactive circumstances, the child doesn't seem to have the language processing and communication skills to do this. But of all of the things I might do besides timing and language, we want to be talking with the child about specific unsolved problems, not about his behavior, Because, and I know I'm repeating myself here, when we ask about behavior, we are asking about every single unsolved problem that occurs 
when that behavior occurs. And we're not going to get any answer that way. It's actually going to be more frustrating to the child if we're asking about behavior. And, of course, the hard part about that is most of us were trained to focus on behavior, and so that's what we ask about. But that's not ideal. Uh, I hope that answers our emailers' questions. We have about 30 seconds left in today's program. Uh, Susie, Kathy, anything last at the end of the program here? No, it's just good to hear the refresher. I'm I'm writing down some of your words to to uh, <laughs> rephrase them myself. <laughs> Cribbing. Good, Susie. Anything here at the end here? Just uh, try to learn to trust your instincts and and listen to your child. Of course, that's the hard part, the listening mm-hmm. part. Kids mm-hmm. kids have good instincts too, don't they? And yep. we learn about that stuff when we're doing the empathy step of plan B. Thank you both. It's great to have you back again. And um, I look forward to doing this again next month. Thank you. Thank you.